0: So Money Episode Three Ninety: Ask Farnoosh with Doctor Brad Klontz.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a thirty-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
0: So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront, the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Visit Wealthfront.com forward slash So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Happy Friday. Happy Ask Farnoosh Day. We've got a special guest joining me soon. His name is Brad Klontz. And if he sounds familiar, that's because he's been on the show before. Check out episode 116 with Dr. Brad Klontz. But ahead of that, I wanna just briefly let you know about a quick survey that I'd love for you to fill out. It's uh, over at mylistenerstudy.com. Basically, trying to figure out who the audience is. I mean, I think I know who you are. I did an earlier survey last year, but it's time for another survey because the audience has grown and we just wanna know how to better serve you. So head over to mylistenerstudy.com. And if you're interested, at the end of the survey, you can type in your email and enter to win a Google Chromecast. So that's pretty cool. That's mylistenerstudy.com. It takes like a minute and a half. Um, So if you're bored and you want to help a gal out, I would love for you to take that survey. All right, Brad Klons is here. He's an award-winning financial psychologist and a certified financial planner, and he's a partner of Occidental Asset Management, which is a fee-only investment advisory firm in Northern California. And Brad and I actually collaborated on the survey for my book, When She Makes More, and his work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, among many other top tier places. And Brad and I are teaming up again. He's actually working with Chase as a to help everyone learn more about fraud and share ways to help prevent fraudulent activity. I'm, as you know, working with Chase on their fraud campaign as a financial education partner. And Brad and I are going to kick it off talking a little bit about fraudulent activity and how we can protect ourselves. And be sure to check out chase.com slash fraud security, one word, for more information. Here we go. Here is Ask Farnoosh with Brad Klontz. Brad Klontz. Welcome back to So Money. We go back, you and me, Brad, right? We've done research together. We've done stories together. And now I'm happy to say we're working with Chase together. How are you?
1: fabulous. Thanks so much for having me back. It's
0: a real honor. I wanted to just remind the listeners that you know Brad and I have another thing in common, which is that we're both working with Chase, uh, both working on Chase's fraud campaign. Me as a financial education partner, you're out there spreading the good word about how to prevent fraudulent activity. So let's just start a little bit before we head and tackle the questions from our listeners, because we've got a lot of questions from listeners about all sorts of things, which I can't wait to ask you about. On the topic, of of fraudulent activity and preventing fraudulent activity, what do you think holds people back from keeping their finances secure from fraud in the first place?
1: Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple things that come into play. You know, First, we have a tendency to block out fraud protection advice. I think it's something that we don't really want to think about. We don't like to think that it'll happen to us. Um, So even when we know the risks, many of us don't do what we really know we should do to protect ourselves. So there's basically this gap between what we know we should do and what we actually do. Mm -hmm. The problem is when we don't do these very simple things and proactive steps and we get hit with fraud, it can lead to hours of phone calls, disruption in our everyday life. So it's really key to break through this no-do gap and take these simple steps to help fight fraud, um, avoid unnecessary stress, and just make sure that we have control of our finances and we're secure.
0: Absolutely. And you know, you know, banks are a lot more vigilant these days and for warning people about potential fraud. I always appreciate when like Chase Freedom actually called me and was like, by the way, Farnoosh, um, we noticed this like weird activity on your card. Is this you? And it wasn't. And thank goodness they, they red flagged that for me. Um, we were able to issue a new card right away. But, you know, sometimes banks aren't as vigilant. And so it's really important for the consumer to equally be as conscious of, like, what the transactions are and did they make those transactions and do they have their credit cards with them that they didn't leave it at the bar? Because that happens sometimes, right? You open a tab and you leave it there. And then you forget until the next day, and then um, 300 fraudulent charges later. <laughs> that hasn't happened to me, I swear.
1: Yeah, you know, that just happened to me actually. It did? Um, okay. When I'm I was not alone. On a trip. Yeah, I, I went to a trip to Detroit. I live in Hawaii, so I was outside of my zone. Um, and Chase sent me an email and said, hey, this is what's happening. Real simple phone call got it all squared away, but just that added protection helps me. I, I appreciate that.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. Fun. Makes you feel like someone's looking out for you. So you mentioned risks earlier, and we talked about some of them just now, but what do you think are the major risks to financial security in terms of preventing fraud?
1: Sure. So so there's few, there are a few things that fraud happens in, in very common ways, and there are things that we can do to protect ourselves. So, number one, you know, don't give your credit or debit card information away via email or phone. Um, and don't respond to unsolicited emails. And we get so many emails during the day, it's real easy to click on a link, and before you know it, you're someplace, and, and it fools a lot of people. So just being really careful around what we're doing. Another thing that people don't think about is public Wi-Fi, and it's everywhere. Um, so if you're making a purchase on the phone or, you know, on your laptop or your iPad and using public Wi-Fi, you're opening yourself up. To potential fraud. Um, So a lot of these technologies in the public place are not protected with encryption. So it's best not to put in your credit card or debit card information or any other private information for that matter in using um, public Wi-Fi. But if you do, and this is something that a lot of consumers aren't aware of, um, make sure that you're using websites that have that S at the end. So it's HTTPS. And that S basically stands for extra security. It's the maximum security for websites. It's what a lot of the banks use for transactions, and it's the ultimate protection. Um, So if you're at a website HTTP, you're leaving yourself more vulnerable. And then this last thing that I think most consumers aren't aware of is when you swipe your card, um, you're actually opening yourself up for potential fraud. These uh, cards come now with this chip-enabled technology, which uses a single code for every transaction you make, so your data can't be used later for other purchases. So Um, Try not to swipe if you can use that chip-enabled card.
0: Have you been using the chip? I have been, yes. What's your take um, on it? It's so new, right? I feel like almost like I'm using my left hand to write a little bit because it's not how we've been doing credit card transactions ever. So it's a little new to learn, but I guess we're all better off for it.
1: Yeah, you're right actually. I always go for the swipe and I have to remind myself <laughs> to use the chip. <laughs> right. so, All right. it'll remind you. It'll like
0: chip. the buzzer will go right. off. Okay, so there's making sure that you don't give away your information to unauthorized parties or like, you know, email soliciting for your credit card information. You know, I actually got a text, a text from the so called IRS claiming that I was, you know, back on my, I hadn't paid my taxes or something. Like you have to call the IRS and it was a 202 number, which is DC, but I was smart enough to realize that if I was going to call that number, it was not going to be a fun phone call. Not because it was going to be the IRS, but because it was going to be some, someone posing as the IRS. Um, the IRS, by the way, doesn't text you when they need your money. They usually will send you official mail. Point is there's all sorts of All types of fraudulent activity out there, and so you mentioned, you know, not giving your information out willy-nilly to anyone, anyhow. But also, like making sure your Wi-Fi connection is secure, making sure that when you're shopping online that you're at a secure site. Are there any other simple steps? Like, what sort of things should we be reminding ourselves daily?
1: Right. You know, and and the other thing I mentioned too are the emails, and it's real easy. Like, you get a bunch of emails throughout the day, and it's you know, you click on it, and it looks like the place you're going. So always to go back in and type in that URL you're looking for versus going after a, you know, clicking on a link that comes through an email that was unsolicited. Right. Right. So one of the things that that you had already mentioned, and and I've done the same thing, um, like with Chase, for for example, the easiest thing you can do is to sign up for fraud alerts. So it's something you do real quick, real simple, take seconds. And then Chase will notify you if there's any suspicious activity on your account, which just happened to me last week, like I said. Hmm. Um, Another thing that you can do, is sign up to get your credit and debit card statements online instead of through the mail. When you're getting them through the mail, you're opening yourself up for fraud in the sense that somebody might take your mail or, you know, maybe you're throwing it away after, you know, you decide you don't want it um, and then somebody grabs that information. So signing up online, looking at your statements, and then, of course, looking at your statements every few days. You know, don't let months go by without checking on the activity that's happened.
0: Right. And, and
1: so really, you know. Our banks help us, they protect us, but it's really up to us, too, to take these proactive. And they're really simple steps when you actually know what you need to do.
0: Most nights, usually around 6 o'clock at night at my house, you'll hear, what do you want to have for dinner? Yeah, my husband and I are the worst at meal planning, and too often we end up ordering in or making bowls of cereal, neither of which is healthy, appetizing, or cost-effective. It's no way to live, people. So it is with such joy and relief that I'm introducing today's sponsor, PrepDish. PrepDish is a subscription-based meal planning service that takes the stress out of planning your meals. With Prep Dish, you get an email every week that contains a grocery list of seasonal ingredients plus instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. And for just two hours of prep, you get a week's worth of delicious meals. I'm talking Romesco baked salmon with roasted sweet potatoes, turkey and zucchini lasagna. Prep Dish is offering so money listeners a special rate of four dollars for the first month's worth of meal plans. It's a dollar per week. Go to Prepdish.com slash so money to start today. And by the way, they specialize in gluten-free, dairy-free, and paleo meals for all you health nuts out there. PrepDish.com slash SoMoney. And did you know that it is Financial Literacy Month? So this is very timely. Yeah, of course you knew that. Of course you knew that. Look at who I'm asking. (laughs) All right, Brad, fabulous. I'm really excited to be working with you on this campaign. And I would love now to transition to some of my listeners' questions. We've got a lot to go through. Hopefully, we'll get through as many as we can. Uh, We have a question here from Katie. And she says, Farnoosh, huge fan of your podcast. Uh, My husband and I are not quite sure what to do with some of the money that we have saved? It's kind of a good problem to have, right?
1: <laughs> she right. Says,
0: um, we're 25 and 26. I'm even more impressed that they have money saved at 25 and 26. Katie says, I'm working full time and my husband is working part time while finishing his PhD in public policy. He's going to graduate in December and by then we're going to have about $18,000 saved up. We had planned to use this for a house as we would be able to use this for a house with a mortgage payment comparable to what we are currently paying for rent. We're wondering if we should instead use this money to pay off one of his private student loans that's around 14 grand with an 8% interest rate. What should we do? I love when people ask me like these alts, like, what should I do, Farnoosh? Give me the answers and I don't have all the answers, but I I sort of feel like they should pay close attention to that interest rate on that loan. It's a private loan too. What do you think, Brad?
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. But, I, but my first reaction with Katie was, "Wow, yeah, very proactive." And when I looked at you know when you when you mentioned how much student loan debt, that's very small amount. So um, and to have savings, well, it's
0: one so of his really private really loans. Yeah, the, yeah probably, right. there's probably more right. where that came from. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Right. So, you know, and, and I, my, my initial reaction to what you were, were saying from Katie's question is, you know, there are advantages to going in either direction. And like you said, there's no really, um, you know, right or wrong answer, I think, in her case. Uh, but, you know, for, for that family too, Katie and her husband, um, you know, they've been so proactive so far. I, I think it would be very likely that they'd be able to succeed in, you know, saving for the house, buying the house, and paying off that student mm-hmm. loan debt.
0: Right. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't have to be an either or situation. You could perhaps knock off 7000 of that $14,000 and that that would just lower your monthly payment, give you less exposure to that 8% interest rate. And in the meantime, continue to save up for that home. And you have a long life ahead of you, you know, so jumping into something like homeownership, while it's exciting and it's maybe financially, it makes sense. There's also a lot of psychological, Requirements to being a homeowner, right, Brad? And you're the they're the financial therapist here. I mean, owning a home is not just good math. Sometimes you have to be really ready for it mentally.
1: Right, absolutely, and that's uh, you know that can go both ways. Where sometimes you feel like you this need to buy a house when maybe it's not the right time for you.
0: Exactly. All right. Good luck, Katie, and congratulations on being so money at 25. Megan writes in Brad and says that she has negotiated an 18% raise at work. What? That's awesome. Good job, Megan. Wow. She, yeah. She says, I'm mapping out the best way to apply the extra money. I'm turning 30 this year, currently contributing 6% to my 401k and I spend and I give $50 a month to my investment portfolio. Um, with she, in this case, with Betterment, she says, I have about, she's got student loans. She has a car loan. She has credit card debt. She also has $10,000 in savings. So here's the situation. Her boyfriend and and Megan would like to start saving for a wedding. So what's the most effective way to apply the extra cash? Oh, Megan, how I feel. I felt your pain, right? Like you, it's wedding season, right? It's like going to be wedding season soon. And you, all you want to do is probably look at wedding dresses and wedding venues and flowers and think about your dream wedding and spend on that. And and so you should, but let's also be prudent, right? You've got, she says here, about 8000 in student loans, $10,000 in car loan, about $800 in credit card debt. I would at least get rid of the credit card debt, you know, and then maybe go about with your wedding planning. What do you think, Brad?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, as you mentioned with the last uh, question, looking at those interest rates and, and making sure that you have a plan to pay those off. Um, but I agree with you. It's it's also important to, as you're paying off that debt, also looking at saving for what you want um, mm-hmm. and not looking at it as an all or nothing thing or something you have to do in a particular order. You can attack all those goals at the same time. And, you know, congratulations on that raise. That, that was unbelievable. I, I did hear a whole lot after that. I was so impressed.
0: That is so <laughs> and, good.
1: And, right. And, and maybe even looking at taking a percentage of that raise and applying it towards all these goals and sort of slicing up that pie.
0: Right. And there's actually, I read, I think it was in the book Nudge, this concept of save more tomorrow, right? Where you commit right. to saving. So you have this 18% raise, Megan, and that's amazing. So perhaps you just right now make the commitment that in 2017 or at the end of this year later down the road, you're going to increase your contribution to whether it's your 401k or your savings, whatever you're saving now increase it by like 1% or 2%. Um, just make that commitment now, maybe set a timer for it, set an automatic distribution, and that way um, the work is pretty much done. There's less pain associated with that. But I gotta ask you, Brad, I mean, there's so much emotion in the process of planning a wedding, and there's a lot of emotion-driven spending around a wedding. Any advice for people who are in that scenario as we are approaching wedding season?
1: Right. Well, my first advice is try to get someone else to pay for your wedding. Um, and if that doesn't work, um, I, I think it's so important for couples to talk about this, to actually sit down together. I mean, it's actually perfect practice for a successful marriage around money, and I know you know this, um, it, to actually have that conversation. It's a perfect opportunity to start having that conversation. So develop a spending plan together, um, and then you can make those decisions together. Like you can spend less here to spend more there and really talk about those values. And and, and it's a great practice for building a financial life together.
0: Yeah. And Brad, you would know you're the expert on couples and relationship among other, among other topics. I have this comment here from Steve. I got to give a shout out to my fan, Steve. He says, Hey, Farnoos, just a comment. No question this time. He says, you do just fine with English idioms. So here's the backstory, people. Okay. I, I'm English is not my first language, believe it or not. I, it is now my first language and my primary language. But when I was born, I spoke Farsi only because that's what my parents spoke. I went to school and like I was the kid who knew no English. I was three years old at the time. I quickly learned, but I think there is for a lot of kids who grow up not English is not their first language. English idioms don't make sense to us. I mean, two birds, one stone. Why would anyone say that? That's horrible. Right. Um so it doesn't come naturally to me. So it's kind of my thing where I like I, I think I'm saying the right idiom. I'm totally botching it, and I've done that probably several times on the show. but he is he is being nice. Thank you, Steve. And he's saying that I'm doing just fine. He said, for example, you use keep me posted and stay tuned very well. Well, I don't think those are idioms, but I'll take, <laughs> I'll take the compliment, Steve. He says, have a great day. Thank you so much for making my day, Steve, because I do feel insecure about that sometimes. OK, last question here from Anna. She says, hey, Farnoosh, my son is a junior high student. If he gets into his college of choice, is it better for him to go straight or do the community college route for two years with a guaranteed transfer to the same school? Oh, I don't know about you, Brad, but I would definitely go to the community college first. I mean, you're going to save like 50% and you're guaranteed to get into your dream school. Just listen, the first year or two at any college is the same anywhere you go. They're all like biology 101, algebra 101, calculus 101, like swimming. Like it's you're not getting into your major yet. So I think that's probably what I would do.
1: Yeah. I mean, all things being equal, it, it is certainly going to save you a lot of money and perhaps her son can live at home, which would save even more money. Um, so from a financial standpoint, that, that seems like a um, wise choice to me.
0: I think so. And look, your son might not find that very exciting. You know, he maybe he wants to, he's been dreaming of this choice college for years, perhaps, and really wants to go. And so maybe if there's a battle there, cause I think, you know, I have to put myself in your son's shoes. I think if I were him back When I was a student, I probably would have been, you know, kicking and screaming my way to community college. I would have wanted to go to my dream school. But the fact is, you know, I think if you show them the numbers and maybe the potential savings, and then if it makes sense as a family, if you decide to take some of that savings and apply towards something else, like, hey, we could actually use some of the savings and help you get your first apartment, when you get out of school or we can help you travel abroad during the summers just as a way to enrich your education. You know, I think sometimes kids don't really see the benefit because we don't really grasp money at age 17. But if you can show what that could mean in other, you know, other value things that he values, I think that could really drive the point home and um, be a win win for everybody involved, especially mom and dad or probably footing the bill. All right, Brad, that's all the time we have. I just want to say thank you. So lovely to reunite with you. And you're all the way in Hawaii, right? Aloha. I
1: am. I am. Thank you.
0: That, I'm thank I'm you. really yeah, jealous. Was a pleasure. I'm so jealous of that. Like, do you get any work done in Hawaii? That must be, I, I mean, it's hard enough to get work done in New York. There's so many distractions, but like you're literally on the beach, so.
1: Right. And it's just a really beautiful drive to the office. Um, I don't get to the beach as much as I would like to, which is something I need to work on.
0: Yes. Let's work on that. Let's make that a resolution. And please come back anytime and tell us where we can get more information.
1: Um, yep. You can visit me on Twitter, Dr. Brad Klont. You could also go to my website, com. All right.
0: I'll put that all back on the website at com. Thank you so much, Brad. Have a great weekend.